Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I am your co-host, Sarah Century. And I am Essie Flinor, your other co-host, and I could not be happier. We are here today with Adrian Marie Brown. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Listeners, I got so excited that Adrian was here that I started going and didn't use words. Adrian Marie Brown is an Octavia Butler scholar, the author of Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, a book that quite literally changed my life, and the author of this wonderful novella that we're going to be talking about a little bit today called Grievers. You're also an editor of a fiction anthology called Octavia's Brood, and I believe a doula as well. Mm. So clearly not enough going on, a lot of free time, (laughs) bored all the time, it sounds like. (laughs) Maybe not so much. I know. I actually, that's my favorite part of my life. I feel like I'm never bored and I'm very rarely busy. Mm. Okay, now that is a perfect segue into my first question, which Mm. is... I follow you on a bunch of different social media, read a few of your books. I know that you have this ethos of rest, this ethos of taking time. (laughs) And I'm looking at your eclectic career. I'm looking at everything you're doing. And I'm like, how? So I would love to know a little (laughs) bit about your creative process, Mm. how you decide when to take a project on, when a project is done. How do you if not balance, harmonize all those pieces of the amazing person I get to talk to right now? Oh, that's such, I love this question. Um, I've been reading these books that Mason Curry pulled together called Daily Rituals. One of them is Daily Rituals of People and one of them is Daily Rituals of Women at Work. It's all about like, what is, how do you do your life? (laughs) You know, um, Nina Simone, how did you do your life? You know, anyway, so I'm very steeped in like, how am I doing my life? And I'll say my creative process is very much listening for the muse or listening for an open channel, listening for something that wants to come directly through me. Usually it comes very directly and clearly for me. Um, So most of my life has been trying to figure out how do I organize myself such that I'm available when a thought comes to me, (laughs) you know, Um, which sounds, it sounds ridiculous to say out loud, but it is really how I structure my life. And the way that I say yes to projects or collaborations is very much when the idea comes up, either it comes up in me or when someone suggests something to me, I have to get to a place where I can't stop thinking about it. So 
you know, a few years ago, my friend Chelsea Cleveland reached out to me and was like, let's do an Octavia Butler tarot deck. I dreamed about us doing it. And I think we're supposed to do it. And I could not stop thinking about it. And I had envisioned an Octavia Butler tarot deck in different ways over time, but that dream made it like, this is it. This is the time right now. And it makes sense in the grand timeline of Octavia's work. But something like that, where I'm like, oh, I can't get this out of my mind. I I think I want to fall in love with it. (laughs) And so then I pursue a project and I make a lot of adaptations along the way to manage time. So some projects like Octavia's Brood or this tarot deck are like five-year projects from ideation to realization. And then some projects are a few months. It just depends on the life force of that thing. Wow, I'm going to really be thinking about that for a while. That that idea of making the space in yourself that when the idea comes, you can, you know, not that I'm into capitalism, but I can't think of a better word, capitalize on it, connect Mm -hmm. with it, use it. That is so beautiful. And it reminds me of something that I recently saw Stephanie Williams, who is someone we have on the pod a lot, and you may know her as the author of uh, Nubia and the Amazons, the new comic where Nubia reigns on the throne, which rules. So cool. Oh, it's so, oh my God, it's so cool. She sent me like a signed copy and I like lost it. I started weeping on my yeah, floor. Um, it was just too cool. She said it this way, and I wonder if this connects to what you're saying, which is she said, you know, people think of these kinds of big moments as being all about luck. And she's like, listen, there's a piece of luck. Some of it's timing. Some of it's just like what the world is looking for. And you have to be prepared. You have to be in a place to be able to access that luck. I heard you describe it as the muse, as channels, but I'm curious, do you think those are similar? And and how do we make sure, you know, as creatives, we have lots of creatives who listen to the pod, how do we make sure we we are ready for that moment? Yeah, I think Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert did a TED Talk a few years ago. It was about many things, but it was about genius as one of those things. And the idea, which she was getting from a poet, and I can't remember the poet's name, but this idea that genius actually visits us. It's not like we are genius or are not genius, but it's about whether we're available when genius visits us. And that if we're not available, that that idea might just carry on and find the next person. Um, And I always love that in terms of this idea of like, what does it mean to be ready? Because when I say I'm ready for ideas, that doesn't mean that my time is just open. I do a lot of things with my time, um, but everyone in my life knows that I prioritize my writing such that if something does come and, you know, I'm in the middle of a conversation or I'm out in public or something, I'm only around people who are okay with me pulling off to the side and just getting down the, the nuts and bolts of it or the skeletal structure or whatever it is, that the core piece of it that I will be able to use to find my way back into it. And I think that we can do that no matter where we are in life. Like I think keeping a notebook on you, acting as if you are someone who is a co-creator of the future of the world, no matter what your job title is. You know, I think every single human has creative potential, creative powers, creative possibilities, and it manifests in the things we choose to do with our lives. And it can be creating very small things, very large things, but the act of creating, I think is universal. And there's something about 
your particular life and your particular set of circumstances that can create something that no one else can create. So I love that idea that even when the genius visits different people, what can be produced is different based on who gets visited and who answers the call. We can see this clearly like in the art world. If an idea passed by Picasso and ended up with uh, Wangechi Mutu, it's going to look very different, <laughs> you know, um, and both things would be genius. Ooh, I love that. I, I'm also an editor and something I frequently tell writers I'm working with is there are very few new ideas, yes. but there are your ideas. Yeah. And your ideas are the only ones that really matter when it comes to writing a book because they're what you're going to bring uniquely to the page. Yes, I like that. Oh, thank you. Oh, a compliment from Asian Marie Brown. <laughs> I think I'll go weep. there listeners thanks for joining us for another episode of bitches on comics the podcast that keeps on going it just won't die mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> we won't fucking let it we won't let it die but today we want to talk to you about another project that we refuse to let die which is decoded pride this is our annual pride month anthology that we do but actually right now we've got the full color pdf available for purchase so if you were like listen i don't want to read it one at a time i want to read all of it together oh my oh goodness you're not gonna believe this you're not gonna believe it this is the best news you will have received all day which is that it's available now. Our professionally designed, beautifully laid out, queer as fuck, trans as fuck PDF is available for issue two. We also have issue one's PDF available as well. So if you haven't read that yet, get your little grubby mitts on it. You're going to be so happy. You can check out both issues and make a quick purchase, support some independent queer and trans creators. Some you say 30 an issue in fact at decodedpride.com $14.99 an issue unless we're running a deal if you want to know if we're running a deal pop on over to our twitter at bitchesoncomics.com and we are going to be keeping that pdf up and available forever so please come buy it please support independent queer art again it's decodedpride.com $14.99 an issue to help support independent queer and trans creators to tell the stories they want to tell to create the comics they want to create and to work together to lift up speculative fiction that is queer and trans. And I did drawings for it. <laughs> drawings? <laughs> they're amazing. The drawings are amazing. They're not drawings. They're beautiful, beautiful art. I did an art. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm curious, when we think about Reavers, you know, it is such an incredible novella. I, I can't believe it's a novella. Like, in my mind, it is a, you know, it's it's... 90,000 words, but it's not. It's like packed tight. And I'm curious, what was that moment when you had to pull over and write down the skeletal structure for it? Mm. And then when I think of you, I think of this person who is joyous and filled with light and excitement and, you know, pleasure activism, all about reorienting our lives toward pleasure, which again, blew my damn mind. And then Grievers is this this book that holds a lot of heaviness alongside of the hope. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pain and and grim, frankly, moments in the book. But right alongside them are these these surging moments of hope. So I guess I'm asking, where did it come from? And and why this manifestation of bringing these, sometimes in our society we think of as contradictory, but complementary experiences to the page? Mm. Well, First of all, thank you for reading it. <laughs> I feel like I'm in that place where the idea that people are reading fiction that I wrote is still such a novel experience and a really pleasurable one. So thank you for reading it. And the idea for this came, I was living in Detroit and there was a series of deaths that happened in our community that I got to see the way they rippled out and I got to see how little space they were given. And I got to see the long-term impacts of that rushed grief, that like rushed emotional process and what it does to our system, our collective system, when we have to rush ourselves through something that actually needs time. So a lot of my ghosts are in these pages. Um, A lot of what drove me to the um, page when I was writing it and continues to, because it, you know, it's the first in a trilogy and the characters are still very with me, you know, very active, very much explaining to me what's going on and why it's still compelling to be alive in their world. And I think that's the main impetus right now that's that's pushing me to the page. And one of the reasons why Detroit has always been so inspiring to me is because it is a place that persists in spite of all the odds and all of the righteous reasons why the city might you know, give up. You might say this is too hard. It's too hard to exist in this manner um, with this level of being forgotten and remembered and forgotten and remembered. You know, I think it's a city that wants to be seen and wants to be known. And it's a city that is not going anywhere. 
my mentor for a part of my life, I got to be mentored by Grace Lee Boggs, who's a Chinese-American activist um, in Detroit. And she would always say, Detroit is what the rest of the country has to look forward to. And so it felt important to me that while I was living in Detroit and Detroit was showing me these stories that I get to be writing, writing these stories down. And I'm still writing them. (laughs) In conjunction with your name, obviously, Butler's work is really important. Obviously, Le Guin's work is very important. And I was just thinking about how foundational they are for a lot of the genre that we see now. Like there's so many things where I'll read it and be like, oh yeah, I remember Left Hand of Darkness or Uh like whatever, uh right? uh So I was thinking, do you have thoughts on how that has just kind of, it just branches out into all of these different directions. And so now we're looking at a world where it's like, you know, regardless of how well received they were in their time, this entirety of genre can't be imagined without the work of Butler or Lagoon. So I'm just curious how you feel about that and like how you've seen that manifest. Because once you get into those two, I feel like there's such a doorway, you know, to all of this other stuff. And right now, like they have just created this world where we are all that, right? So I'm just curious Mm -hmm. uh, what your thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, mostly every day, I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited to be in what feels like an upswell of excitement and interest about these writers who changed my life. You know, they. I, I think it's so important to never underestimate or understate the impact that writers can have on our lives, you know, and, and that they have had. And both Le Guin and Butler are people who changed what I thought was possible in my own life and in the life of my imagination. So I'm very excited that people are paying attention to them. I'm very excited for things like Octavia Butler landing on the New York Times bestseller list, um, which is something she she manifested for herself that she really wanted it mattered to her. And I'm really grateful that that has happened. And I want it to happen with all of her books. I'm really grateful that people are figuring out how we can bring her work to the screen, you know, how we can make it visual for people. I mean, these are dynamic, brilliant stories and many of them are quite cinematic. So I think I think that's really exciting. Um, I think we're in a time period now where folks are thinking more responsibly about how we create the work. So there's some of Le Guin's work that I could imagine us returning to maybe now, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think it's great. And it's just wild, right, how influential it's been. I saw somebody ask, like, Dolly Parton what one of her favorite books was, and she was like, I kind of like Octavia Butler. <laughs> and I was oh, like, yes. okay. Yeah. Like, she we all already love stand. Dolly, yeah. you know, but it's also just like, what? <laughs> like, So I was going to say that I, I, um, <laughs> I love Dolly Parton, and I love that all this attention is in motion. And I do think it is mycelial. You know, I think like people pass it on to each other. This is something that we need. Um, But right now I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, there's not a ton of writing about the period we're living in right now that feels compelling. And what Octavia wrote, the parable of the sower and the parable of the talents feels like that. Like it's like, here's a destiny for people who are living at the intersection of racial, climate, and economic crisis. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we talk, I mean, just as a society, we talk a lot about how social justice influences genre, but I've been thinking more lately about the reverse of that and how 
I think that genre also influences social justice. Like, I think that there's a lot of times where we have this means of dreaming of a better world in a way, or at least like a more, I guess, like progressive world than what we have right now. And so I think that a lot of times, like some of the shortcomings of genre that we've been challenging lately is that you have this world where it's like, okay, you can imagine anything, but you can't imagine a world without police or, you know, something along those lines. So I was curious, do you feel like genre is an integral part of doing any kind of community building and work? Well, you know, when Walida, Imarisha, and I were putting together Octavia's Brood, you know, one of the jokes we would make is that we were interested in genre side, you know, like being able to tear down some of the barriers of genre, because in a lot of ways, the way it has been held in the fiction realm is it keeps people from being able to consider some of the greatest stories that have ever been told because they're able to write off that genre, <laughs> you know, and say speculative fiction and science fiction are not necessarily places to look for signs of the future. When I think, and I we've said this, that all organizing, anyone who's trying to change anything, who's talking about social justice, environmental justice, racial justice, gender justice, like all of that work is the work of people who are futurists and who are science fictional. So I think they feed each other. I think that we cannot start building something that we have not first imagined. And I think a lot of people have told us that over the years. You know, I was recently uh, rereading that from Gloria Anzaldúa. It's like folks have known this. There's an aspect of organizing that is about visioning and dreaming something worth moving towards. And then I think there's something that happens in the realm of science fiction and speculative fiction, which is, what could those new worlds actually look like and feel like? And I think those help us prepare for what kind of humans would we need to be to occupy them justly. What I keep thinking about is we haven't talked about queerness at all, <laughs> but we have, haven't we? But we have, right? And that's what I felt in, in Grievers, the, the queerness, the, the transness of, of Dune's experience isn't always something, like I think we, it takes 80, 90, 120 something pages before the, the word queer, I think, truly appears on the page. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's because everything that Dune is experiencing is about queerness in part. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, I've, I've read a lot of your work, and so I, I do know that queerness plays an, an integral part in, in your life and in your theories. But I'm curious how you think that dovetails here with that conversation about social justice, about, you know, speculative fiction, about grievers. Like, what does queerness give these conversations that if we don't include it, we lose? Mm. I mean, I, I think that in the case of this book and in the case of life, you know, queerness is everywhere, all the time, everywhere always has been, and it can manifest in so many different ways, but fundamentally it's about the divergence from the norm, like something that folks feel as a divergence. And I think it's really important looking at the natural systems of the world, what we see is queerness is a sign of aliveness and fecundity and difference. Queerness is a sign that we are continuing to evolve and grow. It's how we know <laughs> that there's that diversity, that aliveness, that different ways of being and, and different ways of figuring out how we survive this experiment. You know, we don't assume that what we have right now is the one right answer for how to be humans. We recognize ourselves as beings that are constantly also becomings, you know. So I think that in this text, I wanted to be able to write something where everything about Dune 
you can feel this person. You can feel the way that desire works for her. You can feel the way that community and relationship and love work for her. And in some ways, it's like you can feel the way they work beyond gender and beyond sexuality, beyond assumption. And you can also feel how each of those places of identity imprint as the book continues on. So I wanted to give that experience, which I think is is close to what being a human is like. So I was curious too, because I love AK Press. That is a publisher that has such a long history behind them of doing these, like just books that nobody else would have published, right? Like just a Mm. ton of books throughout, you know, years and years and years. And I feel like they've done so much as far as just kind of expanding conversations goes, just in the choice of books that they've published. So I was wondering if it was a specific choice for you to work through them or how that came together. Yeah, so I love AK Press. I love what they do in the world. I love having this independent anarchist press as the home for my work and thinking. And it came to pass because we were putting out Octavia's Brood. Uh, We were considering self-publishing that. And we had found a publisher. They had fallen through. We were thinking about self-publishing. And then an imprint at AK, uh, the Institute for Anarchist Studies, IES, reached out to us and they were like, you know, we might be a home for this. We started out working with them and our book was just much larger than what the imprint was publishing at that time. And luckily AK was like, well, we'll just do it directly than ourselves. And after Octavia's Brood came out, you know, they were quickly like, anything else you all want to publish, let us know. <laughs> you know, Because uh, Octavia's Brood did well. And also I think Walida is an incredible organizer and made an amazing book tour for us. Um, you know, organizers doing a book tour, it was like a different level of engagement. It was really enjoyable, really beautiful. So yeah, we've been in in relationship with them ever since. And at a certain point, I realized that I was trying to do a, an annual emergent strategy book and the collective is down for that. And it's a partnership with AK. So now we have that emergent strategy series moving there. And again, it's a really beautiful place to work. It feels like they care about us as writers and people. So um, that always feels like it's coming first before trying to push you sales and stuff like that, which is important to me. <laughs> you know, I, I like having those values intact. So, Well, and, and uncommon in the publishing landscape. So yeah, way to go, AK Press. You rule. Mm-hmm. Adrian, thank you so much for your time today. I know that you are a person with an incredibly full life, is how I'll put it. I love that you said you weren't busy <laughs> at the top of the episode. I'm gonna, I'm gonna own that in my own heart. Um, thank you so much. We really do appreciate your time. It is always a pleasure to speak with the people who are writing the stories we love. So, again, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope that the rest of your days and lives are fantastic. Wow, wow, wow. Listeners, what a great opportunity. If you are not familiar with Adrienne Marie Brown, you have just gotten the greatest gift of the week. You can get to know her incredible work and everything they are doing for social justice in organizing and in their fiction, which is pretty damn cool. If you want to learn more about Adrienne Marie Brown, you can visit their website at adriannemariebrown.net. You can find them on Twitter at at Adrian Marie, and you can find them on Instagram at at Adrian Marie Brown. Marie is spelled M-A-R-E-E, 
And if you didn't have your pen out, don't worry. You can check our show notes where we will have links to everything that we just mentioned. While you're at it, make sure to go pick up Grievers. You can find it on AK Press's website, which again, we will link to, or wherever you like to buy your books, I would guess. This is an incredible story, and I hope that you will all connect with it and enjoy it. Ayana A.H. Jameson said of the book, there has never been a love letter to Detroit and social justice lineages like this one. And I could not agree more. Sarah, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. You are the best. Kate, thank you so much for editing our sound and for editing out the part where I lost my mind because I was so excited that we were talking to Adrian Marie Brown. <laughs> oh, I was going to say thanks again to Earth Control Pill, who does our theme song, and I feel like we don't shout her out enough. So thank you again, Earth Control Pill. Yes, the coolest. We get to have the best theme song and then interstitial music as well because uh, we have the best life. And thank you, listeners. We are always so grateful for you. We particularly like to thank everyone who has joined us as a patron. We are grateful for your time. And we hope that if you have the means, a couple extra bones rattle around your pocket, you will hit us up on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.